Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday the 16th of March 2020. Mark Pender is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, where to start? Last Wednesday, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a pandemic. And as more and more national barriers go up and equity prices extend their hugely volatile move down, the crisis continues to wreak havoc on the global economy and financial markets. Travel, hotel, pubs and restaurants are all getting hammered. And as the financial markets and as the lockdowns become more spread, widespread, so businesses start to slide into what amounts to a government induced coma, the situation can only get worse. Last Friday, President Trump declared a national emergency in the US, which joins a growing list of countries in the same boat, including the likes of Italy, Spain, Switzerland, South Africa, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. According to the VIX index, which closed at a record high on Monday, uncertainty levels are through the roof. And monetary and fiscal policymakers must be increasingly concerned that, at least so far, their actions have done nothing to halt the carnage. Even a 100 basis point Sunday rate cut and new quantitative easing from the Fed failed to provide investors with any real confidence. As we record this podcast, some 35 central banks have now cut interest rates in the last couple of weeks, some including the Fed more than once, and all have provided a significant boost to liquidity. However, Markets did respond well to last Friday's U.S. state of emergency announcement Uh, that freed up about, what, $50 billion worth or so of federal funds for injection into the economy. So it does seem that investors are looking more for fiscal rather than monetary action to prevent what is rapidly what is a rapidly rising risk of global recession. So, Mark, I see there's just a few few moments ago talk about an 800 or 850 billion dollar package from the White House. Do you think that will get through? And for that matter, do you think it's enough? Well, I don't know. We don't know if it's going to be enough. Uh, it's going to be something. Um, certainly, I've been seeing them out of Europe. Uh, a German, I saw, was it 550 billion euros? Uh, Macron, I think, was talking about a 300 billion for France. So these are all, and those are euros. And these are all, um, you know, uh, what it, when. Uh, Jerome Powell was talking on Sunday uh, after the emergency uh, rate announcement, 100 basis point move, um, you know, uh, at Sunday, uh, late Sunday Eastern time mm-hmm. for, er- for early Asia markets on Monday. And uh, he was very uh, clear that, you know, this has to be followed by fiscal policy. So it's like you said, central banks are doing all they can, whether it, they really can't pull out any more stops. It, it wouldn't seem. Um, there was just one that came out here for supporting the commercial paper market. So they're going to try to keep everyone solvent and pro- try to limit uh, the risk of cascading defaults. And we haven't seen that yet, uh, knock on wood. And uh, 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 so, but I guess that would be the next shoot of fall, corporate debt. Uh, collapses in those things, and uh, and uh, that would be another blow to the market already. Uh, but you know uh, they were doing all they can, and hopefully the, the fiscal stimulus will kick in, and hopefully this virus uh, will uh, its impact will be limited. I'm looking here for for what the latest in Italy is. And I, uh, do do you have any news? 
Well, Italy at the moment, essentially, indeed, with a, with a whole range of countries now across Europe, and within that you include pretty well France, Austria, Spain, uh, they're all at all intents and purposes in lockdown now. Um, so it really is kind of draconian measures to try and, uh, you know, to try and, try and sort the virus problem out and contain it on, well, you know, on borders. Um, and it's the border side which actually is starting to get quite interesting. Um, as of yesterday, we saw um, the EU Commission effectively come out and suggesting that they want to put up um, barriers to non-EU travel. Now, this is done with a view to trying to prevent you know, carriers of virus coming into the EU or indeed, for that matter, uh, residents within the EU who have the virus actually um, you know, effectively exporting it overseas. Now, the, the problem with this is that uh, although the European Union announced that they want to do this, so not all essential travel into the bloc, and that's supposedly going to last for at least 30 days, a number of members are already erecting their own national barriers, say France, Germany, Italy and Spain. So the big four Eurozone countries are already in the midst of putting their own barriers up to start with. Now, of course, this flies completely in the face of the idea of a single free market, a single, I can say it, a single free market across the European Union. So we're starting to see some real political strains taking place across the Eurozone now. And depending upon a course on how this pans out, it could really have some quite significant future uh, implications for the future polit political situation across the Eurozone as a whole. Um, which kind of, which uh, makes me think of uh, the euro, and they do have a unified currency, and you know part of what it, what's going on right now is everyone is um, joining in rate cutting, and everyone is doing fiscal stimulus, but not everyone can lower their currency. So it, it, you know, someone somewhere is going to have to uh, be willing to accept a, a higher currency, and right now the euro has been one of the stronger currencies by far. And uh, uh, will that continue or, or, or will there be political move there above the table or below the table to weaken the euro? Um, I don't think they'd do that. In fact, I mean, as we speak, we have seen a, you know, a, we've seen this interesting looking at a you know, dollar euro because we've seen a fair amount of volatility in that currency pair really since coronavirus began. We had a period when initially we had the coronavirus announcement and you get this uncertainty and rush to safety and we duly saw the dollar appreciate quite significantly against the euro. Then we had this period when the Fed started to respond and a good deal more aggressively than the likes of the ECB through its interest rate cuts. So we saw interest rate differentials, although they were still in favour of the dollar, narrowing quite significantly. And we saw investors then moving out of the dollar and into alternative currencies such as the euro. But now it seems as if we've had this escalation of the virus that the dollar's actually starting to look you know, one of the safe haven currencies again. And we're back in that kind of environment. So I think you know, we've seen the, you know, having seen the Fed cut interest rates on Sunday, um, it hasn't really done that much to the dollar at all. Whereas if we went back to the first round of Fed cuts, we saw the dollar being hit quite significantly. So I think at this stage, to be honest, I don't think too many policymakers are too worried about what's going on in the currency markets because they've got too much on their own plate at home to try and well, sort okay. out. Let's take two places that are concerned, Japan and Switzerland. Those are two banks that are, are two places where the currencies has been rising and two places where interest rates are already Below zero. So let's now uh, uh, tell us about the, the uh, Swiss National Bank coming up. 
Good point. It's a good example, I think, with the Swiss National Bank. So they're holding their meeting on Thursday. Um, in contrast to a, a lot of the other sort of, you know, the big central banks, the, the SNB, Swiss National Bank, hasn't actually really done a great deal in terms of adjusting its own monetary policy to take account of what's going on with the virus. So they did participate in Sunday's coordinated move amongst, what, five or six central banks to boost uh, global US dollar liquidity. But in terms of interest, rates, they haven't done anything, a bit like the ECB last week. And really, as you mentioned, that comes down to the fact that when you look at, you know, well, the whole Swiss yield curve, it's well below zero now. Their deposit um, rate, their main policy benchmark rate is minus 0.75% and has been for a number of years. And there was this ongoing um, sort of stream of complaints coming out of industry and particularly the banking sector to the fact that they're being crucified by the fact that interest rates are so negative in the first place and their profitability is being completely undermined. So I think uh, although you can't say it's impossible that we'll see the SMB coming out and doing something on interest rates on Thursday, it seems unlikely. But it does mean that they're having to wear it on the chin in terms of the currency. And as we speak, Euro Swiss, so this is Swiss francs per euro, is trading a little bit above the 105 mark. If people remember when the Swiss bank Swiss National Bank, I should say, had a target floor for that exchange rate is all the way up at 1.2. So 120. So effectively, the Swiss francs already appreciated the best part of 15% or so compared to the level which just a few years ago, the Swiss National Bank thought was fair, fair value. Now, what they have been doing behind the scenes, because they don't normally make much noise about this, is that they've been inter intervening quite aggressively. And certainly over the course of the last few weeks, as we've seen all this volatility in the markets, really instilling an, an extra appetite for safe haven vehicles, the Swiss National Bank has been very busy. So it's been selling Swiss francs and buying euros, trying to put some kind of floor underneath euro Swiss. Now, it's got to be said, it hasn't really been that successful. Um, it's got a it appears to be trying to put a floor about 105 mark at the moment. Um, but to be honest, if we continue to see the virus and all the volatility continuing, there's every chance that we'd see it falling below that as well. But it is, it's the case that we talked about before. It's one of those um, central banks who really have used up all their ammunition in the past. Interest rates are negative. What else can they do? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, this could be maintaining currency values. Uh, it could be the um, a more visible... Uh, you know, headline that we see more. But I just also wanted to talk about uh, about economic data that's come out. Um, here in the U.S., the emerging numbers are coming out of the effects. We had Red Book this morning, which is attracts same-store uh, sales for general merchandise, up 8.5% in the week, year-on-year. Uh, year. That is a huge, strong total. And that mm -hmm. is, is part of the, uh, you know, the stocking up that that uh, people are doing. We also had the February retail sales report for the uh, uh, as reported by the government for February. It was okay, it, it, but uh, it, it 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 wasn't as you know it was mixed in there. No real ur, you know urgent signs of trouble, but. Some areas in February that were already showing weakness, we can expect to show weakness going on. That's autos, uh, restaurants uh, in particular. And one that's going to uh, come up very strongly is non-store 
uh, retailers, which are going to be benefiting from this. So there is a, an upending going on in the retail sector. It would be interesting to see how it plays out. And unfortunately, that's I think, will turn out to be a risk for March uh, and first quarter consumer spending and then going on into the second quarter. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. Um, I think when we're looking at numbers, you know, as far as Europe's concerned, they tend to lag a little bit behind um, your your economic calendar. So we don't have too much in terms of hard data on what's going on yet. But it's interesting that we've had ANSI, the uh, French stats guys, they've already come out and now basically intimated that they what they've seen just from their own surveys, they haven't published yet, sentiment in September, up to in September, sorry, in um, beginning of March for French business deteriorated at least as quickly as it did during the peak of uh, the 2008 financial crisis. So it does look as if some of the numbers we're going to see coming out of um, France, perhaps not necessarily for February, but certainly as far as March goes, are going to look pretty horrible. And sticking with this this numbers theme, it's, it's worth mentioning just some of the figures coming out of a country where the virus has been around the longest, and that's China. So, uh, beginning of this week, we had retail sales and industrial production. These are combined figures for January and February because they don't separate them out at the beginning of the year. But retail sales there on a a year-on-year basis were down 20.5%, and that's the first decline on record. Industrial production for the same period year-on-year was down 13.5%, and that's its first fall since early 1990. And while there are other measures they used, what they call urban fixed investment for the first two months of the year, that was down 24.5%. So in other words, if you take those numbers at face value, it suggests that the Chinese economy was getting absolutely clobbered in the first Mm. quarter. Mm. And I think it's interesting, more and more folks now, I think, are starting to really revise down significant their expectations for first mm. quarter growth, probably second quarter growth as well. And it shows us a hint of what we can expect perhaps in the US and Europe. But the real story isn't the immediate effect or the initial effect, it's how fast the recovery begins. It'll be the set the next set of China data that will be the most interesting. That comparison is very easy for a, a March jump, which would uh, maybe put everything in perspective. We also have to realize that the Chinese are they're setting an example for everyone else, both on how they've contained, they apparently have contained uh, the virus, and also perhaps how they can uh, strike industry back up. Because right yeah. now, here in the U- Europe, in the U.S., we're, you know, punch drunk from this, right? <laughs> we're standing on our feet dazed, so. No, you're right, you exactly know. the same in Europe. And I think it seems when you come down to these days, I think, you know, well, I suppose in many ways, I mean, for certainly for a lot of countries anyway, the upcoming economic data are going to look pretty blooming awful. But ultimately, I think it's still going to be the COVID-19 count that you know, really drives market psychology. But at some point, you know, these markets will start to look for some light at the end of a tunnel. And mm-hmm. that's probably going to mean focusing upon whoever's furthest along the virus curve, which in this instance, is China. So I think once we start to see new cases in China, and you know, they've fallen clearly dramatically in recent days, if they can stay low and ideally decline further, uh-huh. then investors are going to start looking across thinking, well, hang about, the Chinese have done it now. Does right. this mean now Europe and the US start following down the same road? Right. And then perhaps we get the opportunity for, you know, for some really, really cheap equity purchases and everything else. Well, and hopefully that would occur before too much financial damage is done to corporations and and uh, funds. Um, hopefully it'll be limited in time. But uh, I guess, you know, it's still... 
uh, playing out here in what is a very unknown thing. We also had uh, job openings today, but this is data way back in January. They were yeah. up, but that's another thing. We're going to have you know headline news, economic news shocks. You know, when the layoffs start uh, coming out, and they'll first be on a corporate basis, perhaps, and then they'll be in the weekly data, the jobless claims data, and these might be some very severe numbers. They they might be temporary, hopefully, but that's something else that is a risk. I think too. No, uh, I think I think you're exactly right. I think you know, well, I think one of the reasons why you know going back to Sunday. And all the, you know, the Fed and the other central banks efforts to try and stabilize the markets. One reason why it didn't work was because people were completely taken aback by the Chinese numbers, which came out on, on mm-hmm. Sunday evening. Okay, mm-hmm. people assume you know, they're going to be not very good, but like, the market consensus were absolutely nowhere close to these numbers. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the risk, I think, is that as this feeds through rest, around the rest of the world, we will be seeing some pretty horrible numbers. And Germany's, uh, you had a sentiment number today that looked horrible. Yeah, these I'm always worried about these are from the uh, ZEW guys who do. I mean, it's it's used by markets because it refers to March. So to that extent, it is very up to date. But by the same token, rather than actually looking at industry, it's a survey of what financial analysts are thinking. But that said, it really does. Well, again, it goes back to what I'm saying about China highlights just how this coronavirus has escalated much more viciously than people are anticipating. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the main headline numbers, the one that people tend to focus on on most, I suppose, is the expectations component. Just in terms of numbers, it went from 8.7 to minus 49.5. What does that mean? Well, that was the steepest deterioration on a month-on-month basis that we've ever seen on record. So it just shows how much people are marking down their expectations. And that's what these graphs are uh, looking like, the ones out of China now. It's historic. The downside on this dip is a permanent you know, historical feature of the economic data now. And it, will it just pop right back up, hopefully, like they often do? Or or, or will there be a, a time snag? Or will it go lower? Uh, but right now, like, I'm, you know, this is a pivotal moment here in in, in the history of, uh, you know, um, of modern industry. It is, very much so. Yeah. As you say, will it be V-shaped? Will it be U-shaped? Or indeed, will it be a very smooth U, which means we'll be stuck down at a low level for a long time? Mm. Difficult times indeed. Okay, um, right. Anything else from your side? No, nothing. No, right. No. I think so. Well, my, the way I summarise things, I mean, tell how bad it's getting when the Irish pubs are going to be <laughs> shut, shut on St. Patrick's Day. Well, that has to be it, impressive. It really right. can't get much worse than that. Okay. Let's uh, wrap it up there then. Um, from Mark and myself, uh, thanks very much for listening as always. Um, I suppose you've got to say that with these new sort of fiscal and monetary policy announcements seemingly as likely to be unscheduled as they are scheduled, mm. there's even more reason for keeping track of the latest unfolding developments with Connor Day's continually updated global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll be back next week. Bye for now.